welcome to the Fit Professional One podcast. I am super excited to have you with us today. My guest is Brett Tangley. In a minute, he's going to give you an introduction of himself. Today, we're going to talk about the transition from being a student athlete into a fit professional, how that's all tied together, why it matters, and maybe some really good takeaways for you to consider in your life with your work peers, your family, and your friends. So with that, let's get to work. Hey, Brett, could you just give us an introduction to yourself? Tell us about Brett. Well, thanks for having me, Paul, first of all. And uh, yeah, I'm a third generation family business owner. Our business is approaching 75 years. And so my grandparents and my parents before me established a water treatment business. So I'm a Culligan dealer by trade and uh, graduated from Memorial High School, 1986, went away to college. I spent one year at the University of Minnesota Duluth and then transferred and went to Hamlin University in St. Paul, where I finished my degree in management and I got a minor in economics. And honest to God, went to work, Paul, in our family business right away after college. It wasn't necessarily what my plan was, but mm. the business probably had room for me and I needed some place to go. And I'm really glad I made that decision. And the rest is history, if you will. Eau Claire is a great place to live. It, it is really a wonderful is. place to live. And I married a girl from Eau Claire and we've raised our family here. And so it's been a wonderful way to sort of bring it all back together. Sure, sure. Yeah. So you have also experienced high school coaching. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? I've done a lot of coaching, Paul. It's it's interesting that the war story, the funny story is, as I graduate from college in 1990 and I'm working in our family business in Stillwater, Minnesota, and, and I'll never forget it. The first week in November, I get a phone call from my college basketball coach. And he says, hey, when we make some small talk, and he says, you know, have you ever given any thought to coaching? And really hadn't. I'd done a little bit with youth teams and at the YMCA, et cetera, but never really given any thought to it. He said, well, a local high school called and their coach resigned a week before the season started. Their season's to start in one week. They're desperately looking for somebody that might be able to lead this. And they called me and I said, I'd make a few phone calls and you were the first guy I called. And so the crazy thing of this, Paul, is it led to me to this day still coaching. So that was 1990. It's 2023 today. So what that's 33 years I have coached in some form or fashion, youth sports at the high school or under level since, since playing. So it's been crazy. And I've really enjoyed it, really become a big part of my life. Yeah. You know, a stat I'll throw out right now is you've heard of Grit with Angela Duxworth, right? And she was involved in a study, I think it was by a guy named Willington in 1978. And most of her work, I don't know if it's most, but a significant amount of her work is based on a conclusion they got. And the conclusion was that success is predicted by follow through. And so they looked at high school kids and what they found out is that kids that stuck with something in particular sports for two or more years were a factor of 2x more likely to be successful in almost everything they did. And what's really interesting about that and why it's relevant today is because we want to talk about student athletes and the transition into being a fit professional and what all that means. And what's so interesting is we often think of just the sport. The sport does it, but it's teaching us disciplines, right? Is teaching us so much along the line. And now it's quite 
quite profound. I think that there's a study out there that essentially proves what everybody kind of knows. It's really pretty interesting. And one other thing she did, and I think it was a 2020 study that came out with the book Grit, and she uses this analogy, and I've been known to overuse it, but she says that talent, she doesn't come out and say it exactly, but talent's overrated right? We've heard that. We've heard all those kind of, it's all about the hard work, but she tried to quantify it saying that talent times effort is a skill and then skill times effort is a result. So effort counts twice. Yeah. And I yeah. just, that one sticks with me. I can't get it out of my head. So you add those things up and you take a look at how do we create that out in the world? How do we do that? And that's why I think you're a perfect guest for this conversation because of your experience coaching, especially at the high school level. And we both had high kids in high school sports and we both played high school sports. Right. And you're in the 1.3% then. The rest of us, yeah, you'll have to tell us about that. But the rest of us, you know, we're done at high school. So we have to grab what we can from there. And I just think it is an absolutely essential educational component in society. And that's part of the objective I want to get across today is for the listener to get kind of jacked up on this. Yeah. So well, tell, tell you, us about your college. I didn't, I should have known that. Well, it, I wouldn't I say it was, an, I, would, I wouldn't say it was an auspicious career to any, but it was meaningful to me. And I think, and it was meaningful to the people I played with. It meant a lot to my family and my friends. It really, in many ways, it was the the most fitting tribute to all those years of hard work was having the opportunity to mm -hmm. play and meet and and be a part of something bigger than me. My story about my playing career, it's not terrifically long, but I will say this. My freshman year, I went to the University of Minnesota Duluth and played for a very successful basketball coach, Dale Race, who was a longtime assistant here at Eau Claire. I say to people, I never learned more in my life, Paul, than I learned in that one year at UMD. And I played 26 minutes in a 35-game season. So you were the classic depth chart player. I was, I would argue I was 13th man on a 12-man roster, or I'm at the end of the bench. I'm a 150-pound freshman who's just not as skilled or talented as the other guys. But there's functionality there, right? You had a role. Tell us about that role. Yeah. And you said it was changed you. So tell us. Well, I learned so much. I've solely had a role. And one of the roles was to be the opponent and to be that opponent at the best level I could be. And we oftentimes, I think you talk about deliberate practice. That's mm. been something that this podcast has been built around. And it means so much to me that you talk about deliberate practice. Well, that's really what sport is. Yes. You spend 80, 95% of your time in practice and deliberately working on it. And as a role player, a depth chart player, I was trying to, to recreate situations, deliberate practice situations for people so that they could perform at the highest level possible. Because those segments of time, Paul, they're fleeting, they're fast, they happen right away. Guys have to react. And so I took that, I took that role seriously, even though I wasn't very good and I wasn't physically very ready. And my college career, when I transferred and went to Hamlin, it was a better fit for me. It was a level down in size of school and it worked well for my skill set. I met the most amazing people. I played with a Rhodes Scholar. I played with some people that were, I would have never had an opportunity to meet them, how to interact with them, how to share things. I mean, the lessons from sport 
just lay all over every aspect of my life. And if you asked my dad and mom today, but especially my dad, why I've been successful in my life and in my business, he would unequivocally tell you it was my participation in team sport and that I didn't let it go that I didn't let it go. Not only was it a part of my youth and my college experience, Paul, but but I didn't let it go. I started coaching right away and I've not let it go. I've stayed involved. It's been a centerpiece of my life and I've coached my children. It's been a way for me to have angles to them. And then the amount of people and things I've learned, some good. And oftentimes, let me remind you too, a lot of times I learned what I didn't want to do what I didn't want to be. When I saw something in sport that made me turn my head or go, ooh, wince, I loved that sport taught me that. Because here's one thing I learned, I've bestowed to players is, if you've got to learn every lesson in this life on your own, if you can't learn from what other people do and the things that they say or the things that they do, if you can't learn from them, life is long and hard and challenging. In sport, I feel like accelerates those opportunities, Paul. There's thrown at you in droves. And it's really fun to see that now as I look back and how impactful that's been. Yes, we just chatted before the podcast about one of my previous guests who talked about the magnification of that experience in time. And I think the comment meant that you you gain that perspective, skill set, knowledge in you literally are compressing decades. And I think that's absolutely right. I really do. And for the listener out there who might be a parent with kids that are, you know, that age, right? Four, five, six, seven, eight, depending on what their philosophy is of start getting them going, nine, 10. Right. Get them going. And there's a right time for every kid. That's for another podcast. But the point is, by the time they get to junior high and high school, get them in something because the rest of us, it really matters. You know, 98 and something percent of us are done playing high school, playing organized sports at high school. That is where it feels like there's a consequence, right? I mean, we can go play sand volleyball at the local bar. We can join, do 5Ks and things. But the difference is, I think, the perspective of not to be that guy or that girl that's inappropriately competitive for the particular arena. But what fit professionals do is they find the arena where they can be the most productive and competitive in order to build skills, stay sharp, keep all those things they learned before. And I think that's a, a major differentiator for what I refer to as a professional, which is an awesome place to be. You know, it's the tribe we're building with this podcast and hopefully increasing the numbers with that. We originally came up with this podcast idea for the listener, and I'm going to have Nova right about now put up this particular placard that came off of a, a post that Brett put out there. And, and I'm going to read it really quickly for the listener. At the top, it says hard coaching equals love. And then it's got six kind of basic points it's trying to make. We're going to expand on these. And I think you'll agree it's very appropriate for what we're talking about today. The first one is when a coach takes it easy on you, they're setting you up for a hard life ahead. Second, don't take the coach for granted that's constantly holding you accountable. They might seem annoying to you in the moment until one day when you're annoyed with the life you have. Most coaches aren't out to get you. They're out to get you to where you want to be one day. There's a reason your coach is on you about being early, staying late, studying, doing extra, taking care of your body, and being a good person. 
And then the final sentence is, it's because your coach loves you. They see what you could be one day. And if you can't see that hard coaching is love, you're blind. So we'll pop that up for the listener to read too. But that just really struck me when it was out there. It was like the right time. And based on what you just talked about with Duluth and Hamlin, Tell us about the whole element of the organization's mission and your mission as an individual and the alignment and just how that all worked. Well, yeah. Was there any question? No. And I think, Paul, to build on what you just said, high school, when we leave high school and 98.6% of us, that's the end of sport, right? In the sense that this, it's the end of being coached. See, we can continue to play sand volleyball. You and I could join a bowling league. We could play touch football. There's all kinds of baseball leagues. But the coaching piece is what really, to me, separates the youth sport, team sport, high school sport from, let's call it recreation or or Joe Weekend or or whatever. And that's the part what I think you're talking about, what I'm excited about saying is, is that you know, I've maintained that coaching. It's become really important to me. I have a coach. I'm continuing to be coached because I need to be fine-tuning my skills. And so when you talk about my alignment, I think there's never any question. Coach Race set out or Coach Mir at Hamlin set out what, what our goals were. And I can remember Coach Race saying, we're going to play a way that allows us to beat every single opponent we might play this year. And you didn't question that. I didn't question You got excited about that, I can tell. Right, absolutely. And to me, Paul, that's a plan for life. Like, I need to plan a life that allows me to tackle any problem or opponent that I might have in a given period of time. I have to build my business to handle those things. I got to build my relationships to handle those things. I got to try to teach my kids about being prepared for the most difficult, challenging, unique opponent that you might have. Those are the lessons of sport, some of them, that just lay all over our lives. I want to, in particular, pull out a little bit more this concept of alignment, because there's what you just said. It, let's use the analogy that family and spouse is a particular game. Yeah. And career is a particular game, mm-hmm. just like basketball was for you. So right. profound, really still to this day. Correct. So most of us have family, career, and if you listen to the coach that I'm using for my sport piece, you can fit in one more. People that fit in a forest don't do very well. Mm -hmm. So that's one element. The next element on alignment is in each one of those, you're very aligned with the goals. You know, successful marriages, the spouses have the alignment where they want to take the relationship and the family. Organizations don't need to spend an ordinate amount of time talking about alignment. They try to hire for it. And that's what's so fascinating to me about, for instance, we can stop right there and have you comment on, you didn't question what was going on at Duluth. And in my analogy, I always use Alabama football, but let's use Duluth basketball. You knew about the game of basketball. So that's like an industry to me Mm -hmm. uh, as an analogy in our real career world. And then you picked Duluth and Hamlin. Those are two organizations. Correct. So you were like, that's like the company. And then you played a role. Correct. That's the job. And it's such a fascinating example. So you went through that as a athlete. And now you're running an organization. So how can we expand on alignment and what we can do about alignment for the listener? I mean, for me, one of the 
things I start with is try to hire for it. I'm beyond sports now. I, mm-hmm. I'm yeah. I'm looking for individuals that may have experienced this. In fact, all I'll sequel on a resume for me, if the individual has played some kind of organized sports and even at the high school level, because that's 98% of right. people, all I'll sequel, I'll move them into the keep stack. Yeah. yeah. I just will. Well, and your roles yeah. change, Paul. Yeah. Too. You know, I think one of the things that I would say is my role as a freshman at UMD when I'm 14th man on a 14 man roster and my role as a senior captain on a Hamlin squad, that's contending for the playoffs or my junior season, when we made the playoffs and we're one of the top four teams in our league and went to the playoffs, my role changed. And I was learning all along that and that alignment. What was interesting. One of the things is I didn't have input as a freshman. I took the messaging that I got, I didn't question it. So hierarchy. I lined up. And guess what? There was a lot of other great guys around me that had already bought into that. And I honored and respected them and recognized their talent, their decisions. So now I'm in with them. I'm part of a tribe. You talked about a tribe. That's my tribe, right? That's what I'm going to face the world with. As I got older, my role changed and I became more of a mouthpiece for the tribe. And I had input as to what defines success. Where are we going? And realized too that I had a lot of say and my actions had a lot of impact on whether or not we'd be successful. So correct me if I'm wrong. The question is, so that input was actually earned by executing the system to that point in time, right? Yeah, exactly. Do you use any other standard in your organization now? I mean, to me, that Mm -hmm. makes sense for other organizations to get through a cycle and earn it, see what we're doing, and then be in a better position to give input. That seems to ring true for me for an organization. What do you think? Absolutely. And I think we're at a crossroads some in business because a lot of folks maybe don't appreciate that. So if you talk to listeners, they're probably feeling that frustration of folks that kids, people come into their business and immediately want to have piles of input about something you're doing. And they haven't even really entrenched themselves in to your organization, to your team shown what they can do. Earning where you get is a concept that I think we really appreciate at our place. And I I do want to say this. I don't want to make it sound like I don't appreciate talent because that, God, God, it's just part of the puzzle. It is part of the puzzle. And you talked about it earlier and there is the old adage, what it's hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. (laughs) There you go. Right. But you talked about it. Hard work enters energy. That's twice in that statement. My comment is, is it sure as hell helps. And I want to work with talented people. You have to have some talent. I earned my roles. I think by one of my talents was I was a good communicator. One of my talents was that I didn't quit. One of my talents was, you know, that I could connect people. I could be a voice for people who didn't have a voice. So when you talk about where these things ring in my organization is, Think about the people in your organizations for the listeners or for my own place where they speak for quiet people. Yeah. And a little sidebar as an engineering nerd. Okay. I love graphs. There's only one of us here that's an engineering (laughs) nerd, by the way. I love graphs. And to me, a typical simple graph, if we have results on the horizontal and talent on the vertical, when we start, somebody with no talent is at the the cross, zero, zero. And the talented person is up. Correct. But effort is what changes the slope of the graph. Correct. The speed and, and, and slope. And so that, to me, in a very analytical way, is a way to communicate that talent definitely gives you an edge, but only if it's applied. 
Correct. Which is what we've just yeah, both yeah. kind of agreed on here. Exactly. So I just, I oftentimes, I could wrap myself on the flag of hard work and perseverance. And and by God, I, I believe that I've done a lot of that. Yeah. But I don't want to downplay my opportunities. You know, those, those things that were presented to me that I was fortunate enough to be able to take advantage mm-hmm. of. A third generation business, right? Something that's already established. My goodness gracious, that's a whole different organization than starting at zero customers. Okay, so for the fit professionals and the concept of alignment, I think it's very difficult in this day and age to get a highly aligned workforce. That makes me sad a little bit. I think all of us that have companies that stay together, we have a degree of alignment. So it's not, I don't think it's a, it's an epidemic, I, mm-hmm. you know, where we're all just extremely sick. But what I do know is organizations that are highly aligned, like your sports team, you talked about being ahead in the conference and all that kind right, of thing. And right. the way you're talking about it still to this day, you're really into what was going on there. And so as professionals, can you share with us any takeaways from your basketball experience that you give you at least a foundational thought process to how you establish and maintain alignment in your organization? I think that what's proven to be best for me, Paul, is we aligned about something that a lot of people could get behind. I think the more narrow... The mission matters. It matters incredibly. And in my belief, even the values. Like, I think we align in our business around simple values and a simple mission. Now, executing it, keeping it alive, making it real for everybody... Man, is that a challenge. Wow, is it hard. Do you need perseverance? You need zealots. You need people helping you with it. You need the charts. You need reminders. But but in the end, to me, what I think sport taught me was you can't have a Magna Carta that's 300 pages long about oh, what God, the no. mission is. No, no. My God, simplicity. And can we all get behind this, right? That we're all going to love each other or that we're going to give our maximum effort and we're going to hold one another to that standard. And where does the mission originate or should it in your view? Well, that's a great question. My mind, the best is when it comes from, even from the depth chart, in your words, the depth chart player. If they can have a voice in that, ultimately in business to me, It's about what's important to the customer. In the business, to me, your mission needs to come from what's meaningful to the customer, what's meaningful in the marketplace. Truthfully, now I talk about customers internal and external. So those customers that that we deal with on the public side, that's an external customer. But now this environment has really required me to to serve internal customers, our employees, right, in a far different fashion. So I think that's where it originates from, Paul. It comes there, but I also think it comes from from the leader. The leader needs to be have a vision. The leader needs to have an idea about where we're going. And is that something that I can get behind mm-hmm. and I can care about it and I can entrench myself because there's a lot of people in sand and gravel. There's a lot of people in water treatment. What differentiates my business, your business from everybody else's is Can we get the crew to get behind what we're doing on a whole more meaningful level? And so if you could expand on where I'm going to call it a constraint, and please challenge that word if it doesn't fit, the constraint of capability, where capability and competence. In other words, Mm -hmm. what I'm trying to say is in your position, 
I believe small business owners and senior managers with some tenure have a feel for what the capacity and competence gap is versus the new idea that comes out in form of a mission. I'll give you an example. I Please. made a huge mistake because I thought I had some competencies to go into real estate and home building. It was a disaster. They were not transferable whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And a big part of it was exactly what you outlined. I had no clue what the customer was, vendor relationships, blah, blah, blah. Right. The, the things I won't go in anymore, but that's an example of mission run astray, even though I could almost use the same words for that mission. So what I'm trying to get at is I personally think that having any kind of a democracy, if you will, and not, I didn't, you didn't say that. You didn't say that mission is a consensus, but I think some people come out of wherever they come from, mm -hmm. thinking that they should be able to talk about that. One more thing before you comment is there's purpose and mission. Mission is always to make margin in organizations. It has to be. I think mm -hmm. you've heard me say this in other rounds before. And I think purpose is actually where you spend your money in your time. Where do you reinvest money and time? That's purpose. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So as a small business owner, you have mission and purpose. You understand capability and competence. And now it can even be a fairly tenured, but non-owner depth chart player shows up and says, let's change in Duluth. Let's change the game plan. Let's let's play a different style. Let, or worse yet, let's go play baseball. How's that? I mean, because that's what I did. I, I essentially yeah. went from basketball to baseball when I went from what I normally do to real estate. Bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> That idea. Yeah. So, so did you follow? I mean, does that make sense to you? Because I think that's a root cause issue that's out there based on my reading and my experience. I sure don't see it all, but I think it's productive to discuss. Yeah. I don't know if I'm going to answer your question or not, Paul, because that's, a I don't question. know if there's, there's, a, there's a lot there. There's like 10 questions. There. <laughs> there's a lot there. It's, my what wife, I would say is my the, wife will tell you I'm the champion of the run on sentence. This will be a long walk for a short beard, as I say. <laughs> I um, got beer in the fridge. <laughs> what I would say is you can, in the end, you can have the best laid plans, the best mission. You can have the best purpose. If your people can't execute it, Paul, if they're constrained by resources, time, talent, money, whatever, I feel like one of the gifts that sport also teaches us is the, the gift of simplicity. Oh, uh, yes. And I think you know, when I think about you, I think about, you know, the strife you have personally as your friend being an engineer and a, and a guy that loves complicated problems, loves to work on things that are complex. And I can't imagine I'm not that. And I can't imagine how difficult sometimes it must be for you to unpeel all that. Oh, I think you nailed it. That, that's true. That's true for me. It, yeah. And so I think for me, what sport, getting back to this constraints thing is, is you're only as good as what can your team do? What, yeah. what can you guys do? And, and, it, and yeah, at Duluth, we weren't going to play fast. There's another piece there, though, is what are they willing to add in knowledge, skills, and create a discipline? The depth chart player, what are you doing all summer? Yeah, working on skills, skills knowledge, and then finding execute. your deficiencies. And, and I think what's interesting is if you build those skills next season or later in the year, can you play a slightly different way? Can you add a dynamic to your offense? Or can you add a dynamic to your customer offering? Because you now have somebody who brings energy. And I think 
Paul, at the end of this, the longer I work, the more I believe that you talk about creating margin for people, room for them to expand. I think about managing their energy. It's finite. And I'm learning at my age now, at, mm -hmm. at 55 years of age, I don't have the same energy. I have a lot of it, but I don't have the same I had at 25. And if I, when we talked before the podcast, everybody, I said, if I wrote myself a letter, my today self to my younger self, I would talk a lot about energy and I would talk about making sure that I directed their energy at the most important things all the time. Mm -hmm. Because I think one of our challenges as professionals is, is we got to cut the stuff that wastes people's energy, makes it go sideways, doesn't bring anything to the party. And I think sport helps with that. You talk about the pace at which you play. You don't have time to be practicing over in the corner during the games. That's what the off season's about. That's what the afternoons for three hours on the football field and the basketball court in my case was out. Yeah, I, two comments. I think that's excellent. I want to add some lenses to look at what you just said through number one. I'm going to be working on a blog. It's from cycling. Cycling uses functional threshold power. Mm -hmm. I'm writing a blog on functional threshold performance, which I think is is going to be really fun to do. And, and so in very, very small nutshell, FTP in cycling is as hard as you can go for an hour and puke. Right. I mean, it's like everything you have, I mean, leaning on the bike, maybe falling on the floor, literally throwing up at the end. And it's so terrible for most cyclists that they have abbreviated tests with it, which are still very difficult. Mm -hmm. And then they take percentages. I think the professional world is that way. And that's a good parlay into my second. First of all, your point about energy, managing energy, mm -hmm. that defines at the top of the system for a person that by definition is not sustainable, right? And there's a big difficulty there between the manager thinking where that should be, because you can move FTP with deliberate practice. Mm -hmm. You can move that for professionals, mm -hmm. capability and competence with deliberate practice, but you still don't go there. The world operates at some level below, below that. that. Mm -hmm. And in cycling, what you're constantly trying to do, the pros have really high FTPs, but what they're working on is bringing their bottom up. Yes. So you're at 65, 70%, which you can just go all day, the all day pace. But also now, if you and me have the same functional threshold performance as a professional, but I can go at 70% comfortably and maintain that energy, and my competition is at 65%, guess what? Our team's got an edge, get it? Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. So I think that's something that can be moved, trained, and practiced. And, and coached too. And, and yeah, and coached to to some degree, right? Because yeah. I, you said to me, we were talking earlier. One of the things I think about coaches is they, what sports taught me is coaches help me see things I couldn't see myself. Oh yeah. Gotcha. Because I got in my own way. I'm too tired. There's no way I can do that. I'm this. And coaches helped me through a variety of ways, some conventional and some unconventional, find places that I didn't know exist. And by the way, it's one of the things that I try to share with kids is I try to remind them is that tough love, that hard love. And, and yeah. by the way, I think it's important, Paul, don't underestimate the word love. It's, it, oh God, no. That word there, no. it could be like, it could be respect. No. 
it doesn't have the same gravity as the word love. No, it's intimacy. The, it, it's yeah, professional and it's, intimacy. Is and it's I, another level of buying. But it's legitimate caring. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, at every, and at the love, highest level. Love is an appropriate word. At the highest level. I mean, this is so fun. We're going to have to come back because there's like five, yes. five lanes we could go down right yeah. now. One I want to get to that I think is really important is what you just described exemplified your almost complete trust in your coach slash manager. 100%. Okay. Now, 100%. Now, I think that's an issue. Even when I didn't agree. Yeah. Even and, when I didn't agree. When I know of some major universities that teach kids to question everything. I think, We've laughed about this. Yes. And I like to expand on it because it's really interesting. The opposite of having faith is questioning everything to me. Yes. It's hard for me to get as analytical. And you gave me too much credit for that. But as analytical as I am, getting my mind around that is very difficult for me and highly frustrating when I see it's kind of the younger generation, but it's not you know, just them. No. People questioning everything. It's like not getting through that cycle at Duluth. Uh, and it's counterproductive. But, but that was energy. cool about what you talked about. You were powerful in that moment. It was so cool right. because of the faith and the system and your alignment, right? Yeah, 100%. And, yeah. and remember, Paul, I think when you talk about question everything, that's where sideways energy just goes awry. It gets it blows out of control. Up. Right. And what I meant by the learnings I had as a freshman at Minnesota Duluth was that there were a lot of decisions made for me and some of them I didn't agree with, but did I trust the process? Did I trust the leader? Exactly. Did he know where we were going and did the guys on the squad who were leading us, you know, uh, no, yes, I'm in no position to tell them we're not on the right path here. Mm -hmm. And I'm nowhere near talented enough to tell them we're on the wrong path. And by the way, it was the best chance I had to get where I was trying to go to. Mm -hmm. So to that point, I just, I was all in, I was all in on the faith, all in on the trust of that thing, Paul, even when I didn't agree. And it proved to me, I could do really hard things. You've talked about grit. You've talked about do hard things. I never had a harder year of than my freshman year of, of going to college and being away all that long and playing for the best basketball team I ever played on and being arguably the worst player on the team. <laughs> and would you do it again? I'd do it again in a New York minute. I would do it again, knowing the kind of person I am. Now, I don't know if I'd recommend that for everybody, right? But again... I'm so thankful for that. 26 minutes I played, right? And I scored two points, one basket. I mean, the great moral of the story is I had a guy guard me. I hadn't scored all year. And I said, look, dude, you got to let me catch the ball and get a shot. I haven't scored all year. My mom and dad are here. And the guy said, okay, and he let it. And I shot, missed, rebounded my own shot and made a basket. And, you know, that doesn't sound like a big deal, but that was how hard this endeavor was. How hard. And you just got to stay with it. You got to keep whacking. You got to keep grinding. And I learned how to grind. Yeah. You know, and I think that's a lost art. And we could go down and that's a whole nother path. How do you learn to grind? You're a cycling friend. 12 hour, 24 hour races. I mean, that's grinding at a level that I can't yeah. hardly conceptualize. Uh, neither can I. You know, but my respect, I know how hard it is to grind for three hours or four or six, mm -hmm. you know, and I've done some neat things in my life. I went rim to rim on the Grand Canyon in one day. 
Wow. You know, awesome. it, it, it was an awesome experience. And I did, I went from one end of Isle Royal to the other end, 41 miles in one day. And those are endurance events that you got to lock in and say, the mission is the mission. And, you know, hell will have no, I'm not stopping. That's how we're going to make it. What's the fallback plan? We don't have a fallback plan. Yeah. That's what I loved about the learnings in my basketball career is we don't have a fallback plan. This is how we're going to play. And we're going to be as good at it as we can be. We're going to execute. We're going to execute. And I think that's the, as a coach, as a youth coach, those are the kinds of things I try to bestow upon young people. There's stuff inside you that you can't tap on your own. You can't do it. We were laughing this morning. I'm on my Peloton this morning. And you'd think I could get on a stationary bike, Paul, without someone setting up a program and go out and push myself and test myself. And the truth is, I can't do it like I need to. I need someone on there giving me feedback, setting out a charting a course. But that, you're just, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm going to speculate that's you being hungry for what I'm going to refer to as fellowship, which is another mm -hmm. podcast we did, of the group. I mean, the group multiplies each other's efforts. Yet you're going together, you're sacrificing together, you're feeling it. Yet, yes. You know, when you were at both schools and high school running sprints with the boys, yeah, I mean, you go through the hard times, you celebrate the good times, you see the cause and effect along the line, but very much that fellowship, which to simplify, because it's again, very complex, two major components of trust and loyalty, and they propel each other through action toward mm -hmm. a mission. I think mission has to be first before any of that shows up. Yeah. So fellowship is a synonym for our discussion with love or professional intimacy mm -hmm. or team intimacy. And that particular lesson, God, where do you learn it if you don't play high school sports in the time that high school sports can teach that to you? And when you're in it, you almost don't even know it's happening. You could read about it, I guess, but the point is if you well, don't- One of my previous guests said, Benner Keeley said that. Yeah, said, right. They didn't even know it was happening. And then all of a sudden, and people that observe it go, whoa, what's going on? Well, I think when you're in it, you don't necessarily even realize it's happening. Certainly those guys that are in the Marine Corps and in the military, they don't realize it's happening while they're in it, right? And then you get out of it. You look back, the perspective of time changes or the perspective of the chaos around you and you get a chance to think. But the phenomena is transferable. Oh, uh, I think it was Ben who said the Marines was just like high school football, yes. which that is a pretty wild statement. Think about it. Mm -hmm. But here's a really accomplished young man who had been through it. And so then what we're trying to talk about today is how do we get that in our organizations? Yep. And I think trust and loyalty is a really nice access to transfer fellowship from sport to organization. So because it becomes clear what we can do to make trust better. And what loyalty is pretty much a lagging indicator to me. It's a decision by somebody to again and again. And what's interesting about it was the core of deliberate practice mm -hmm. to build fellowship. We just said that deliberate practice is where the fellowship is built. Yes, it's in the game, but it's really, it's like the iceberg. The game is above it's water. It's a very small part of it. Yeah. It's a very small part of it. And frankly, I don't remember the final score of any of the games. I remember some of the outcomes, but again, we talk about that, but boy, do you remember slogging it out in, de in deliberate practice since or the relationships and things that you got. So I just would say to you, I don't know where else you get it, but from sport, it's certainly one of the more prevalent prominent places you could get it. So I would be encouraging people to be a part of it because it's very, very practical and pragmatic. And then I don't want to underestimate this. 
it's terribly fun too. Yeah. <laughs> it's terribly fun. And see, I think who business... wants more fun at work? Who doesn't want more fun? Truly, who doesn't yeah. want to have more fun in work? That is one thing I'm getting from younger employees, from people entering the workforce now. They're challenging old fuds like me to have a little bit more fun. That this just isn't about grinding and never smiling or you know and we even have fun with our mistakes and god we make them every day and as long as we're honest about them as long as we face them as long as we don't minimize them and my wife says to me her company used to talk about try fail learn man if we're not making any mistakes my argument paul is we're not trying hard enough we're not pushing hard enough we're not grinding hard enough but i do think these sports getting back to your thing man they're fun and the relationships are are lifelong and Neither one of us was the best player on anything we've ever done. I've never been the best person on any team I ever played on. Not and yet there was a role for me. There was a part of it that mm -hmm. mattered. Now, I had qualities, I think, that were really needed, but I was never the best. And to this day, I've never been the best on any team that I've ever been on. Yeah. And that have been on great teams. Let's key on that word fun for a minute. One take, correct me again if I'm wrong, but what I observed is you talked about the deliberate practice and the grind before the fun. In fact, the deliberate practice and the grind creates opportunities for fun. Uh -huh. And the big deal is managers have to make sure that organizations take the opportunity to enjoy, pause, acknowledge the job, I want to make it clear, it's not about some jobs. Well, do you notice what we do for a living? We get paid. And then the things we really love, we pay to do. Yes. I yeah. think that's a really good. It might be the wrong word because reward would be another word. No, I think you're right, though. In the realm of what's going on, as fun as it possibly can be. But I want to make sure, I think we share that, that the employee, the depth chart player needs to understand that the mission it's toward the mission. Yes. And within that, there's joy to be found. Yes. And there's abundance of positive things. <laughs> I'm at a loss for words here, but you, you can find that joy. And joy might be, maybe that's too strong of a word, but you, I do. I, I love it when a young professional does something awesome and you get to see them shine and you acknowledge them. What a great day. I mean, well, and I think you learn awesome. to relish. Here's another thing. I learned to find, crazy as it sounds, and I think you could say this as an endurance athlete yourself, I learned to find fun and joy and reward, whatever word I want to use, in the grind. Yeah. Yes, it's a grind. Yes, it's hard. It's work. Work is all those things. But there's fun in that too. And I loved your previous guests on your podcast. Some of what you... If you don't get any bumps and bruises, no scrapes, no near misses, no, you talk about the guy that fell on the path. When you get that to happen, Paul, you know you're in the game. Yeah. It's a reminder to me that I'm playing in the right arena. Yeah. 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 And in part two, you'll hear them. We're recording this before part two comes out, but part two will come out before this one. And so please listen to part two yeah. because- he expands on level one, two, and three athletes. And I'm a level two athlete in cycling. He's helped me realize that. Mm -hmm. I have experienced that emotion during some of these long races when it's like, I can't wait for it to be over. Really, that's gone now. And it sounds, I mean, it's being really honest to say that. And that's a transition. Now, now I'm loving the process again. Mm -hmm. And that's what you just, I heard you say, is our professionals have to learn to love the process and quit being so obsessed on the outcome. What's outcome? I don't know, another day of vacation, another 2% raise. 
No, get all the way into the mission, trust your coaches, mm -hmm. execute on the mission, work on your self-deliberate practice. Summer share it, right? Oh, yeah. Share it with your team. That's trust and loyalty, the yes. fellowship. Yep. Work together. Yep. And it's funny how you then you find the joy. And for me, I really overtrained and was borderline chronic fatigue syndrome. I wasn't there, I don't think, but this time last year, which was the April before the August of my big race, I was really having a hard time. My body could not do what it had done like two weeks before. It's yep. the weirdest ledge yep. I've ever experienced. And so fast forward, long story short, surviving that ordeal. But then September, October, November, and December, I was just a puddle. And now he's built me back. And I finally, and I've built back with, it used to be your coach gives you something to do and you want to do a little better. Mm -hmm. You know, you want to be at the very up top of the range or you tell yourself a story that, well, I used to, and Rob went through all this, so I'm not going to repeat it. Go, Please go listen to that podcast. It's awesome. But the point is your coach can help you with where you need to be. And then you have to trust the process mm -hmm. and you have to stay in there and you have to execute. And that's why I did a quick margin max minute on recovery. You got to recover business. You got to recover family. You got to recover everything requires because our human condition requires it. And it's, I don't know, boy, I'm going down a different road. I got to bring her back to what the subject of the day is. So one thing in there to move this along is the, it talks about taking your coach for granted, which kind <laughs> of translates in that particular line to maybe not trusting the process, trusting the coach. Can you help us with maybe a war story or your opinion or ideas of how, I want you to put yourself in the mind of the person who is not liking what's going on with the, the coaching, frustrated with the coach. What advice do you have for that person to transition to a level three employee or a level three teammate? Because they're kind of in a level two zone right there based on that comment. You know, the war story that comes to my mind is my first year of coaching at St. I'm at a little Christian school in St. Paul and we lose our first 13 games. We're 0-13. And, and I, of course, I come in, I'm coming off of a college season, pretty successful. I graduate from college. I'm working and I, I think I'm pretty sharp and I got a group of boys and at Archbishop Brady was the name of the high school, which is now defunct. It, it no longer exists, but we lost our first 13 games. And I can remember sitting down with my college coach and I said, gosh, where am I falling apart here? Where am I? What am I missing? And he just said, you haven't lost your boys. Like you haven't lost the kids. You're staying after it. So Paul, one of my things that I think so important as a leader, as a professional, or as a coach is I kept the relationships. It was more than just basketball. Yeah. It's about a lot of things. You know, some of that's built on giving kids rides home. Some of that's about bringing in snacks and celebrating their birthdays. Some of it's about learning to love the bride. But at the end of the day that I had built enough trust that those kids hung in there and the last seven games, we go four and three, right? And we win, we win some games and we overcome challenges that we had fumbled a myriad of times early in the year. And a team that beat us by, we lost our last game of the season, a team that beat us by 45 points early in the year, we lose in overtime by three points. And I guess maybe it doesn't answer your question, but to me, it's an example of the relationships were authentic. And I was, even in all my errors and all the dumb things I did, I was honest 
I stayed with them. I was transparent. I was authentic and I loved them. I cared about them and I coached them really hard mm -hmm. and they believed and they hung in there mm -hmm. and there was great joy at the end of that. At the end yeah, of that. Everybody role. developed as a human being. Yeah. And we won four games. We were four and 19 or something, Paul. It, who don't, I mean, that doesn't matter at that point in time. We were playing for a different mission. See, and I, I think that's exactly what high school sports is too. It's got to be number one about developing and educating the kids. And you cannot win a game and be a better human being. You will be with a coach, just like what you did. Congratulations. Awesome. Yeah. And it makes an absolute difference. So again, I asked the question from the perspective of the kids. So what I heard you say is they believed. So that would be advice. Believe, yeah. trust the coach, trust the process, yeah. do a gut check. Is the coach authentic? Yeah. Are they showing that they care about you? Are yeah. they investing? Are they invested? Are you both chasing the same mission, which is kind of obvious in Mm -hmm. basketball yeah. it's a but little they harder quit. in organizations but it's obvious in they could have quit paul i mean they could you know to those kids credit and their family's credit they could have quit i mean they, did. it, they didn't they knew better they didn't and it wasn't and because there was other reasons to hang in there yeah and the fellowship at times carry and you know it's never all one thing either that carries oh. you and mark johnson mojo arguably the greatest coach in memorial history in some regards, the longtime track and field and cross country coach. I can remember him saying to me when I was a young coach at Memorial, he said, don't let school get in the way of your education. I'd never heard anybody say that to me. It just, it means so much to me even today is there was a lot of learning going on, Paul. And it oh, wasn't about what was going on in a book or even on the whiteboard or whether we were making baskets or we weren't making baskets. Yeah, yeah. Young parents listening, get your kids involved. Get them involved. It's the very best and, and when it's appropriate from them, but as early as possible because the longer the better because it helps that follow through. Question for you. Tell us your opinion of the difference between management and leadership. Well, and then we're going to parlay into sports, which okay. is about the same question. To me, leaders, I guess I'll answer it this way. And I believe these terms have been bastardized a lot. I know you yeah. believe that. We've talked about it at breakfast mm -hmm. a number of times, and it's a real it's a real shame. I think it's true of language in general. We've just bastardized a lot of terms, and it's a strong word, and it's maybe even offensive, but I, I just don't like how we've morphed them and changed them or tried to change them. Leadership to me, the word that always comes to me is inspire. The leadership to me is about something that I want to follow or I want to be a part of, or it elevates me. It helps me feel differently. And there's a higher calling there. There's a vision and a lens that's, that's bigger. And I think management is much more closer to the ground. It's, they're all important. And I think that's something, as I would tell, you know, what you call depth chart players or folks that work in your organization, they're all important. All you have is leaders and you don't have any managers or you don't have anybody that's willing to do some of the, the ground level work. You're not, I'll show you a place that'll fall apart in a New York minute too. Yeah. So to me, again, when you talk about that, I think the difference is, is I'm inspired and there's more room in leadership for me to umbrella more things into it, where management's more about process. It's probably more about procedure. It's a little bit more about rules. And at least in my mind, it feels a little bit more about 
executing to a certain thing where leadership is more of a big thought to me. It's more about my why. Leadership's more about my why. Management might be more about my what or how. Okay. So again, you're talking mission and purpose. Can there be leadership with no mission? <laughs> I don't think long-term sustained, no. Again, in unique circumstances, high pressure, whatnot, I can't, the battlefield, the national championship football game, there could probably be forms of leadership where mission doesn't maybe play. I think you can't have one without the other that's sustainable. So in high school sports, what do I learn potentially about leadership and management, the differences or of them? You know, I think that one of the things that I think you would learn is that leadership should help you envision bigger dreams, that there's more out there. And I think it also should help to validate that there is winning in the hard work. There is winning there. And I think the confidence that leadership to me bestowed to me, like I had great leaders and then I learned from them and it gave me great confidence to not, to be convicted, Paul, about what I think is important and where I think management to so much is plays a role, but it's not inspiring all the time. It's necessary. We have to have it. And there are some rules and ways to do it. But I think sports, to me, it, management's more about, well, we're going to execute the play this way, right? We're going to execute the off-tackle run, or we're going to execute the inbounds pass, and this is what you're going to do. Leadership's more about why we're playing, where we're going, and what this could, what are the ancillary things I could get from it? the lifelong relationships, the euphoria of, I've never wanted anything. I mean, that's the one thing I'd say is, Without sport, I don't know how much winning I would have had in my life. I mean, I don't know how much winning I would have had in my life. I've gotten to enjoy a lot of winning because of sport. And it's transferred into my business and our business wins. And I love winning with our group. But I, I certainly can't. I'm considered the leader. And I think I am the leader in our organization. But there's no winning in that without everybody. There's no winning there. I hadn't thought about it that way. You'll probably, I'll probably see you in three weeks. And I'll probably have more to add to that. Yeah, it's, we won't do it here, but it's interesting to study Peter Drucker and leadership. Yeah. And it also it dovetails nicely into the Apollo 13, where they've taken a tremendous amount of what might be leadership and created processes with decision rules and hierarchy. It's because it's urgent. So I think urgency changes mm -hmm. things and consequence changes things. And it's quite interesting when we're in high school sports, Winning and losing is the major consequence, but boy, there's more. Is it major for the individual? We have the emotional intelligent quadrant, which then is very cultural, which is expectation and support to me of what's going on. It's really funny to try to make the point your local high school team, regardless of the sport, wins a state tournament. Listen to how people speak about the team. Our team's awesome. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you, you know, right. they take ownership of the team. People want to be around that winning deal. They, so they speak with we. They speak with we, right? Like they're part of it. And when they're 0 and 13 or whatever, it's a different conversation. Oftentimes it's they. Oftentimes it's they. Thank you. So to me, rolling a lot of this forward is having the ability as to foster that support. Leaders are doing things behind the scenes to facilitate and create the opportunity for your depth chart players to shine. Right. You know, they're great. Point. 
in line with the mission. Yes. And then, of course, there's the decision point, which the Apollo 13 really exemplifies. I, I don't know if I captured that very well in my podcast, but the leader has to make the call. Right. That is the defining part of the role. And that builds everything else, right? Make bad calls, trust and loyalty drop. And so there's super high consequence within the realm of whatever you're in that role. Right. Leadership is a role. I think one of the problems with that term is it's been, it sells. People buy things with leadership in the title. In fact, the book I've written that was told to try to buy a very good friend who changed the title of his book to put leadership in my title. And it was already too late. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I would have, but it sells. People tune in, they sort on it. And teams in sports teach us the difference. The depth chart players where the gold is. The person playing, there's depth chart players, game time players and starting players. That's mm -hmm. the way I look at it. Mm -hmm. And then there's coaches. And in each one of those, there is a leadership role component for, and it's gotta be toward the mission. I won't go into all of that, but what matters is focusing on the individuals to get good professional knowledge, skills, and discipline so they can bring it to the organization. That's mm -hmm. where I think it, you really make a difference. And then the leader, frankly, can't screw it up. Yes, you can inspire. That's wrong, I think. I believe you can create conditions under which a person can be mm -hmm. inspired. Yeah, but and they decide. I remember our conversation a while ago, we talked about compensation. Compensation mm -hmm. really doesn't motivate for the long term, but it sure can demotivate for a long time. Absolutely. That's a good example. And leaders have to be very careful not to do those things. I've certainly made my mistakes, which I won't go into, but it is such, it's really interesting. And I think sports teaches you that. Yeah. It's kind of a metric that people use oh. to compare, but I wanted to get to this leadership thing. You know, you talk about when you say, why are people so thirsty? I mean, why should leadership be in a book? Because people are thirsty, Paul. I believe that it's such a rare, it's such true leadership. I'm going to challenge that and just try this. I don't disagree, but I think they're thirsty for a mission, mm. purpose, mission Yeah, that's aligned, that they can get behind and then play a significant role in it. Yeah, That's where I land on it. Because we can't all be leaders. Right. We're thirsty for a leader. I don't know. I think we're thirsty for a mission and a purpose that we're really aligned with. We can make a big difference of. And then the leader, the person, it's just one role. Yeah. And I really believe that in a particular unit of production, whatever that is, it can be two people doing something or 200, whatever that is, you need a point that creates the conditions under which the starting players, the game time players, and the depth chart players are all able to be successful. I'd invite you to go, look, I can't remember it off the top of my head, but listening to those three guys from NASA in the 60s, it's like, oh, they have that down. Everybody knows their role. They're totally jacked up. You said it a million times already in this podcast, no question about the mission. All this other stuff follows. And we might be saying the same thing. Yeah, we're and we talked about that, words matter. You know, I think of the word when you talked about the leader it's a role. And sometimes they're the catalyst. Sometimes oh, they just make that little adjustment. Sometimes they make that little insertion to your, to your point about mission or purpose or, or whatever we're working on. And do I think Bill Belichick knows football imminently better than everybody else who's ever coached a football game football wise? My argument would be probably not. There's probably people have comparable skill knowledge about football. No. Where his gift is, is in his 
maybe in his selection of unique talent, right? Contouring his mission and purpose with that talent and finding those little buttons to push, those little adjustments. Now, it doesn't hurt you to get Tom Brady, you know, along the way, but but the point being that leadership sometimes is not the major thing to your point and to insert and then extract yourself too from it. One of my multiplier principles is power. And to me, attributing to power is no work to be done on alignment. And therefore, Mm -hmm. that means purpose and mission are individual purpose, mission are completely aligned. But that is powerful. And that's what I'm talking about. Well, to your biking example, when you have good posture, when you have your knee, when you're positioned well and you're perfectly aligned, your functional threshold power is never higher right? You have to have that lined up. Am I right? I mean, but well, I would morph that example into a tactical initiative or behavior, a very specific thing within the realm of everything you're trying to do. And remember, functional threshold performance, the way I want to use it is the top. So yes, that brings the bottom up. That's the whole function. It's a really interesting way to look at the talent in your organization. Yeah, but you can't in that particular realm to bring your bottom up, you got to go hard for a while every now and then, not too much. Mm-hmm. And what is that in an organization? To me, it's like, we got a deadline. We got a huge quote coming up for a big customer. We got to go above and, you know, maybe it takes facility and capital investment. We got to get quotes. It's not just another unit through the factory. This is like another warehouse. Yep. And boy, they need it next Tuesday and we might not get it. And we're going hard. Companies that embrace that, remember the level three athlete, I want to say the level three employee who loves that process. So we don't get the job, but oh my God, I know what warehouse costs. I know how we implement that. Mm -hmm. We know what we needed for people. I just brought the bottom up. Yeah, there are a lot of learning. And and I'm not going to, so learning is part of bringing the bottom up, but also pace. Yes. So one question, we got to wrap things up here, which is a bummer. Maybe we come back and get more panelists and talk more. It'd be fun. It'd It'd be be a lot of fun. Is the whole idea, I've always thought that high school sports for a young adult going on into life is so good at teaching the concept of accountability. Does that resonate with you being both a player and coach? And is it a good reason for parents to encourage their kids to get into sports? Absolutely. You know, Paul, when we sat down and thought about this visit, if you will, this chat, and you've got this great platform. I didn't know what direction you could go because sport teaches us so many. It's huge. So many things. But in the end, accountability is one of the more difficult things in an organization to teach or foster or develop. I mean, you're if you don't come into the organization with some accountability in your makeup, Paul, I think you can agree. Those are oftentimes really short-lived relationships in business. And because owning your role and owning your part in that is just paramount and, and we need it. And I just, I can't, again, I can't think of another place where I would have learned accountability had I not played team sports. Yeah. Where else would I have learned it? Because you would be counting on me. Yeah. That's why I love, I know basketball is that way, team sports, but football is really all team sports. You have to be self-reliant. You have to execute your role or the system falls apart. Yeah. And all the pieces rely so heavily on the other. And 
I think about you can have the greatest shooter on a basketball team. And yet if nobody's willing to make quality passes or no one's willing to make quality screens and own that and be accountable to it, they're just not going to score very much. In football, you're not going to run great running plays if you don't have offensive linemen and receivers that block down the field. I mean, all the winning running plays, they start up front, but the second and third level blocking is where they break them. And that's that accountability piece, which is, and I like it, I liken it to this too, Paul. If accountability only comes for an individual when someone tells them they need to be, it doesn't work like I'm accountable and I don't need anybody to tell me that. I know when I signed up or I know when I joined your mission or I know when I'm working in something with you, I'm accountable Mm -hmm. to people and that's intrinsic with me. And I know I learned it from team sport. And probably, Paul, here's the other thing. I learned about not being successful. I mean, you want to talk about something down the road in another podcast is what's the power of learning from losing? Oh, yeah. That's a whole, that is a whole nother oh, podcast. Oh, my gosh. And the accountability. What role yeah. did I play in this thing not going well? Right. What role? Where did we break down? We all want to talk about our victories. And my God, I don't have a lot of them, but I want to talk about them. But all the... The learning and the accountability came in. I didn't like how it felt when I didn't win. That's a great comment to segue into the one element of the original post we put up where it talks about taking it easy. Coaches taking it easy is not doing you a favor. And to me, that goes right to accountability. It's a good catch. And frankly, in my world, for me, right, we learn what the right way is. And then sometimes we don't step up. I mean, Mm -hmm. we're human. And one of my fatal flaws is I love people, like you said, professional intimacy. I love to see them grow. In my career, and I'm not referring to anybody on my team, I want to make that clear, but I've been too easy on people over time, not because I didn't want to be hard on them, but I wanted to give them the benefit of the doubt to come around, perform, get up to standard, whatever you want to say. And for me, it's like, yeah, a little bit more. They will. But the, all the things we talked about today, there's something, there, there's maybe one or more of those not present. Alignment, skill gap, or the unwillingness to move, or, you know, the left-right thing. We're going right. They want to go left. There's all these things that come into play. And that is just not good for an organization. In fact, I had one employee who left during a transitional time. You know, I've been out there 40 years, but a transitional time in one of my corporate endeavors who said to me, there's no leadership around here anymore. Well, that was right at me. Mm -hmm. And it was spot on. And it was because I hadn't held a couple other individuals accountable, which later were, but I knew. And that bothers me. I mean, I let it go, but that can't happen again. You know, and that's bad for organizations. It's bad for teams. And I think doesn't sport teach that? And to, oh my God. To pile onto that, Paul, is the ability to take criticism. The ability to take criticism. Yeah. Now, I call it coaching now because people sort of talk to me all the time about constructive criticism. And I say to them, you know, that's really coaching. Yeah, let's get into the whole tough love thing. Yeah, tough the, coach. This, I haven't gone this there is yet. coaching. And yeah. sometimes you elevate your voice. And when I'm coaching basketball, you elevate your voice. You make the urgency because you don't have the benefit of time. In the games, you don't have the benefit of time. 
I like same, craft same professional organizations. Pro professional organizations. We got a quote. We got a job to do. We got to fill this, whatever it is. The urgency isn't in the depth chart player like you know they need to do. But that is a role of a manager too. Yes. Not just leader. Absolutely. And at that point, I've realized I've let down the team. I haven't executed my role. I think that's different than leadership putting urgency in its communication. Right. It's like I've had Bobby Knight moments because of that. I like to get them all back, but <laughs> I don't think I've ever thrown a chair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it's not the individuals. It's the realization, just the out of sync nature of what needs to happen relative to the kind of the optimal time frame, the capability, the money, all of it. It all adds in. And I think that that's the end of the bell curve of behavior. Okay. We don't want to yes. go there. But tough coaching, I want to talk about. And it's misinterpreted. Would you agree with the statement that tough coaching is more apt to be misinterpreted today than when you and I started our career? A hundred percent. Why? Oh boy. That's, that's a, another podcast. Well, let's, it is, let's start. It, it is another podcast. Well, but don't you think that's, that is a significant question? It is. It is. And think if you had all athletes that had some element of tough coach, we, please answer. We, well, I think we're getting into the, yeah, the why, the why of that is now is theory for me, Paul. It's theory more than fact. It's as I, and I say at our place, it's stories more than fact, but I do believe this. We are operating different as parents and as a society today, we value different things than we used to. And as that has occurred, I believe tough coaching has been misinterpreted to a great degree as being mean or as being unreasonable or about being abusive or about being. And I, I tell you, I mean, certainly there are those instances. There are bosses we hear about in this town that are that are not operating in a fashion that I think has emotional control and really has buy-in. But as to the great degree is I view it as look at the athletes, look at the athletes and how are they reacting to that hard coaching? Mm -hmm. Because I think so much of it is, is what are you doing getting offended about it? He's not hard coaching you. He's not, or she's not in your chili about performance or about right. expectations. He's in the athletes. And judging by what I see from the athlete, they're accepting it, many times agreeing with it, and trying to find that extra gear, Paul. But I find us, you're going to love this. This is a true northern Wisconsin comment I'm going to make. But as I had a friend once say, is, watch your own bobber. We tend to watch other people's bobber yeah. a lot. And the truth of the matter is, is we should probably watch our own bobber a little bit more and not worry so much or be entrenched in uh, that. In the spirit of Good Friday, take the plank out of your own eye. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. exactly. So I think that's that's, that's excellent. One that's excellent. And it'd be fun to expand on that someday. So one more question, we can squeeze it in, I think, and that is, what is buy-in in modern organizations and what is it going to change to in the next 10 years? Well, these are hard questions, Paul. You didn't give them to me up front. But, well, buy-in in today's organizations, hmm, to me, I don't think I have anything super insightful it, other, other than to say it feels to me there's it's worthwhile work. 
Like the people in organizations feel they appreciate their role. They feel a part of something that there's a meaning to what they're doing. I think that is, that's buy-in to me is, is that they feel a meaningful part of what you're doing and they're contributing to that. So we're, we're going back to alignment then. Yeah. It's to me, it's about, I'm aligned with what this organization is doing. I am aligned with where they're going. I'm aligned in how they go about doing it. Yes. Their why buy-in to me would be, I agree with their why. Now, the only exception that would be is gosh, if you had no money and you needed, you know, I would do anything if I had to feed my family to hell with alignment, right? At that point in time, I'd do whatever I had to do short of, you know, probably breaking the law, but in a normal setting, yes, right. In a normal setting, it would be, I'm aligned with your why. What's it going to be in 10 years? So much of it will depend upon if we can seem in my eyes to maintain some quality values, that things that are really in my mind, fundamental tickets to the game, we don't lose track of that. And so another way to say that, so I understand, would be a stable foundation based on values. Yes. And I think that's excellent. I would add just that I don't see the mission to margin for a specific asset and market need. It's going to, there's going to be innovation, but the mission to create margin is pretty consistent. There can be changing in purpose, which again, I define as where do you spend your money and your time rolling forward. Mm-hmm. And I, to me, that's the challenge in an organization is, is not to let the wind of the day change that sale. Because otherwise, how can you ever get a team of people that are aligned? And one thing that I think is really important is we as small business owners are inviting everybody to come and contribute to the mission and share in the purpose. Absolutely, It's an invitation. And through that is where that love is we talked about. It's where we're able to get it out there. And hopefully that's a takeaway for anybody out there listening that is trying to figure out where it is. I, When I spoke to some collegiate students lately, I talked to them about check out the purpose, try to figure that out. Mm-hmm. You might not know your purpose, but you have to take responsibility to extrapolate where you might be because you're going to be happier. 100%. Even though you don't know, right? Young person, it's really hard to know, but try to extrapolate and get that you said it, values. How are the values? So you look at that. And then I always advise, look at, ask your manager's manager if you get the plant trip, right? You get to go to site and meet everybody. Ask them what their purpose is and listen, right? Mm-hmm. Use purpose in one question and mission in another one and see if anybody starts talking about investment of time and money into what. And does that ring true with you? I'm really trying to figure this out because I want a team that is really jacked. And we're growing, right? So we want to add people. And I want a team that's really jacked about what's going on there. And it's very difficult to find the language to communicate what we're talking about. And it matters. And the words matter. Oh, God. And it goes back to sport, doesn't it? It does. And and I think, Paul, what I hold out hope for, and you you talk to me about 10 years from now, I think... The organizations that embrace the fundamentals of team sport, they're going to stand out. I think previous generations, there was a lot more buy-in and team than this world has gotten more individual. We, we've become more independent and, and we could theorize about why it's all happened, but work from home is more independent. 
I have an iPod. I pick the kind of music. I mean, you and I remember when we bought albums and you, and to get to the fourth song on the first side of Steve Miller Band, you had to listen to the first three songs, right? Oh, you, Jungle Love. That's yeah. exactly right. And <laughs> and you had to listen to Wintertime in order to get to in order to get to yeah. those songs. And and then you had to flip it over. And the individual and independence piece of it, although it's opened up some new avenues for people and a new economy and, and all kinds of opportunities, I believe the human element of team and the zeal to be a part of a group and to share and have fellowship and to all ships rise in a high tide, that's still going to matter. And I think organizations that are really good at this, Paul, are going to stand out. Yes. They're going to they're going to be different in a unique way. Yes. They're not going to be run of the mill anymore. No. They're not going to be a collection of 50 individuals who are good at something. They're going to be one group of made up of 50 people. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be my hope, okay. my hope and my wish for right. business. And I think that's the direction we're going to go. That's what we're going to try to be. This has been just fascinating. I'm going to go through just a couple takeaways, and then I'd like to close with you so you can be thinking about it, what your three to five takeaways are, or one to three, whatever you want to share. For me today, you really helped me believe even more so that I think one of your last comments is that alignment matters more than ever. Shared purpose, shared mission, to validate that is the challenge. And I absolutely agree and kind of excited about developing that more over time after talking to you. It matters. It's going to give companies an edge. It's also going to give the individuals an edge mm -hmm. because as the organization goes, the individual goes and vice versa. That really is a big deal. And then the whole idea of the role of a manager versus a leader and what you learn through sport, where we really didn't go is after we leave high school or college athletics, how do we keep that sharp? And I think that's something that we need to talk more about in the future and I think that really matters. And everybody's got a role to play and they need to be willing to step up to that role. I've come out of this discussion believing that individual responsibility is very high. We only can do so much as managers. We can really screw it up with actions, but it's individual decision and accountability that has to go forward. And really, I think you did a great job talking about the transition from student athlete to fit professional and just how profound it is. I mean, one thing that comes to mind for me is freshmen right now in high school potentially are in the workforce in four years. Correct. That's a big deal. And both of us have organizations where we can utilize quality people there. And what a cool way to prepare for. And I would encourage young kids out there in their parents to have them get into athletics so they can put that on their resume and put it on your resume. You know, there's colleges out there that tell the kids not to put their high school sports and activities on there. I always ask. I think it's a huge yeah. mistake. So those are some things that were reinforced for me today. Absolutely. Yeah. Where do you land? What would you advise the listener to do? Or I couldn't take issue with anything you said. I mean, I think we, you know, one of the reasons this was so fun for me is, is we're so aligned, Paul, about it. And so I'm talking to my friend about sure. something that, that really is, I'm really impassioned about. One of the big takeaways to me is that there's learning in winning and losing and that sport 
nothing is a better playground practice for the game of life, like sport, like team sport. And I think the emotional maturity, the physical maturity, the quotients about being aligned, mission, how you deal with conflict, how you deal with taking criticism, all those things there. I can't find a better test ground than that mm. in my life. I just, I can't think of one. You know, I, I think one of my takeaways is I'm so thankful for my family, my parents instilling a love of sport and how, you know, I haven't thought about that in a long time, Paul, about where were the origins of this? I mean, where, where did this come from? I mean, and I would say my parents and my grandparents, and they instilled that in me, you know, and, and I think the confidence to, to dare greatly to try to do stuff that I didn't think I could do, you know, and I also would say to you that the most fun that I've ever had has always been when I've done it in a group, yeah. right? It was the most rewarding. It brought the most joy in everybody you meet. They want to talk to you about their family, or they want to talk to you about their team, or they want to talk to you about those things. Very few people want to sit around and only talk about the things that they've done mm. individually. And this really, Paul, cemented that for me. Sure. So thank you for letting me well, think bigger and deeper about that. Well, and thank you. You're a community leader. You're a great guy, run a good corporation, and it's been such a pleasure. We'll have to do it again. I hope so. It'll be a really good time. I hope so. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Fit Professional One. We really appreciate you investing the time today to listen to what we have to say. You're welcome to contact me on my website, and we'll get in touch. Please like share and subscribe so more people can get the message. Again, really appreciate you being here. Have a great couple of weeks till the next full-length podcast. It's time to get to work.